Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody. My name's Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at the church. If this is your first time with us, welcome. Make yourself at home. We are in a series, as you can see, called, I didn't say that. These are like sayings that maybe we heard uh, that God said or someone told us. We launched this last week where we looked at the statement, God will never give you more than you can handle. Right. And uh, we, God didn't say that. He didn't say that. And uh, I'm not going to preach that one again, but you can go to iTunes or you can go to our website and you can listen to that. Uh, but today we're going to look at a very commonly held belief in our culture as well. Watch this video. I'm just really searching right now. I mean, my favorite professor doesn't even believe in God. And my roommate is part of this totally different religion that's it's actually pretty interesting to me and then there's my boyfriend who just kind of picks and chooses from different religions you know I I always thought I knew what I believed about God now I'm just not sure well the good news is it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere I shouldn't even have to tell you this (laughs) But God never said that. (laughs) I do believe that sincerely look like it hurt. You got one on your hair. It's hilarious. (laughs) It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Everybody loves spirituality. Uh, You hear people commonly say on television or in uh, rock stars, actors, different people, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, which is a way of saying, I'm not sure, but it's a way of saying probably I think spiritual thoughts, but I'm not a part of church or I'm not a part of some organization. And then we think, well, if I'm sincere, if I'm just sincere, then surely that's good enough. God wouldn't do anything if he knew the sincerity of my heart. I was having a conversation probably a couple of months ago with a very articulate, intelligent young man, successful young man, and uh, we were having a good meal together. It was uh, quite nice, and some, somehow the subject came up of uh, missions work, uh, and as you know, Doug uh, Dorman and Linus Morris, those guys are in Brazil now uh, training teachers and pastors and all uh, there in Brazilian churches, and and so somehow I came up and I mentioned my missions trips and what Doug and Linus were doing. And suddenly the whole tenor of the conversation changed. Suddenly it came out. He goes, how arrogant, how presumptuous. I went, what? He said, how arrogant for you to believe that you know more than the people in those countries. And how arrogant for you to go there and to tell them that what they believe is wrong when they sincerely hold those beliefs and maybe have held those beliefs for hundreds if not thousands of years. What gives you the right to do that? 
What makes you think you're right? How arrogant to go down there and then to spend people's money to do that. I, that's just, I, it's absurd. I can't believe it. And so we kept going back and forth, and I kept saying, we don't send people down on planes to other places for them to shake their finger in people's faces and say, you're wrong. We go down to tell the truth, to help train pastors. And, and, uh, but it, but it, finally I said, i got to get back to Jesus somehow in this conversation because this thing has fragmented into an argument almost. And so I said, well, what do you think about Jesus? And, you know, nobody has a problem with Jesus. <laughs> right? Jesus is cool. We like what Jesus does. We know he loves the poor. We know he loves the weak. We know that he cares about everyone. We know the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. We know that if we could learn to live like this, we would have a peaceful society and the world would be great. And everybody loves Jesus. And so I ask him, what do you think about Jesus? And he goes, well, Jesus is great. Jesus is very cool. Uh, He is one one of the greatest leaders that we have ever had. And I said, so you just think he's one of the greatest leaders. Yes. And I said, but you don't think there's anything unique about Jesus. There's anything special about him. No, he's one of the, you know, he's one of the ones. And I said, well, let me, let me read something to you. So I read this from John 14, 6. It's in your handout, your fill-in this morning. If you want to look at it, it'll be on the screens as well. I read this without the first part of saying who said it. I said, what do you think of this statement? I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. How arrogant. How egotistical. And then I said, do you know who said that? And he looked at me and I said, Jesus said that. Well, he must have been mistaken. Maybe, who knows, who put the Bible together? Here we go again, you know. I'm like, yeah, Jesus is cool until we read something like that. So is sentimentality, is that enough? Is sincerity enough for whatever belief we have? Is it enough for us to be put in right standing with God? Or is there something very special about Jesus, something very unique, something separately other about him than all the other religions? So that's what we're going to look at today. I'm going to ask you to look at three different uh, or consider three different things. Um, even the statement, you know, that it doesn't matter as long as we are sincere. It doesn't take a whole lot of philosophical wisdom to know that can't be true, right? Because there's been a lot of sincere people who have done a lot of harm in this world. There's been people who have sincerely thought they were right and have sincerely killed hundreds of thousands of people, but would tell you they were sincerely right in their beliefs. So when we say it doesn't matter what I believe, As long as I'm sincere, that sounds cool, it sounds usable, but it just won't even hold philosophical weight when you look at it. So where does Jesus fit, and what do we need to consider about him this morning? Uh, What harm does it do to think other that other religions are just as well, you know, are just as good? Uh, You know, one of the differences is Christianity is not a code of religious behavior. A lot of the other religions and all have to do, even, even Islam, you know, it's like you have to live a certain way. You have to do this. Christianity is a relationship. 
It's not about a code of behavior. Out of that relationship comes a new life. It comes a new way of living, a new way of thinking. It's because of relating to Christ, relating to God through Jesus Christ that we are changed. It's not that I got to try, I got to try, I got to try. And finally God puts a seal of approval on us. Jesus is totally different than all of these others. Different than Buddha. I was watching this um, a documentary the other night, and there was a very gracious, wealthy man on it who uh, loved the Dalai Lama and uh, was a, you know, a Buddhist and Tibetan Buddhist and, and just, uh, just worshipped him, called him you know, his holiness. But even Buddhism, in, in its purest form, is, is really atheistic. I mean, you're not going to get to God, and you're not going to be in heaven. You're not going to be living with him. You just get you know, reprocessed over and over and over again until you just cease to exist anymore. Process. What Jesus tells us about the future and about now is wholly different than anyone else. And so I'm appealing to you today to consider. Now I'm going to pray, and if you want to take the fill-in out of your handout, you should have a pen, as Brian said, and track along with me. I have three in there today. I'd ask for you to consider these three aspects of Jesus. Father, thank you for your time today. Uh, Lord, we love gathering together to sing about you, to sing to you. And we learn, we learn things when we gather together. We, we, we want to think, God. We want to evaluate. We want to consider Because I believe you have done enough, God, to reveal yourself in truth to us. And so it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to dig in and to to review things. And so this morning, I ask for your help. Give me the gift of teaching. Holy Spirit, come and speak to our hearts. Breathe life on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Your first feeling this morning is this. I would like for you to consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider the ministry of Jesus. Of Jesus, what he did. In Mark 2, verse 16 through 17, we read, When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Who was he eating with? Sinners. Now, I would have been there. I don't know about you guys, but I would have been in that house because that would have been my designation. That's where I would have been. He was sharing a meal with the common sinners, the everyday person. See, a religious person that lives by a code of rules always looks down on people who haven't been able to live by those code of rules. And Jesus says it's about more than the code of rules. And so he is having a meal. His ministry is spending time with those who are sick. Those who are, know they're sinners, know they're not measuring up. It's a lot different than many other religions. And Jesus says, I want to spend my time with them. Well, the religious people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the Jewish leaders of the day would judge him for that. Why is he hanging out with those people? They don't measure up. Well, it's those people who don't measure up that were the ministry of Jesus. That's who he came to. That's me. That might be you. I dare say it is you. That's his ministry. He has a special ministry to people who are hurt. Now, my story, I love to tell my story. And I got to tell it again because I love it. But the ministry of Jesus apprehended me when I was not expecting it. 
I was headed, it was doing a lot of surfing contests at this period of my life. I was headed from Myrtle Beach up to Atlantic Beach, North Carolina, to Moorhead City. My brother and I were surfing a lot of contests. And my brother and I together, in all honesty, we were a formidable duo when it comes to debates. (laughs) When we were together, if someone kind of took us on, we were almost impenetrable. You couldn't get to us. So this friend of mine decided he would separate my brother and I to go to this contest. My friend would take me in his car, and my brother's best friend would take him in their car. Now, I thought it was weird at the time. I thought, why are we driving two cars? None of us have any money. But I found out later, you know, that they had planned this all along. They had been praying, and they had said, how are we going to get to the Holtz? What are we going to do? Well, first, we've got to divide and conquer. We've got to separate them, you know, keep them separated. You've got to get them apart first, you know, get them apart. And so my brother Robert was in the car with Johnny. I was with Danny in the front, and we're headed up to, uh, to the contest. Well, it's a nice ride, and the whole time I'm looking back over my shoulder at Johnny and Robert going, I don't get this. Why are we driving two cars? And there's just small talk all the way to North Carolina. We check into the hotel. We get our boards out. We check into the contest, and I'm sitting in the hotel room, and I'm stretching, and I'm meditating at that time, and I'm standing, sitting in a corner in a lotus position, staring at a dot on the wall, going mm, like that. And Danny's sitting up on the bed, and Danny goes, what in the world are you doing? And I'm like, I'm getting centered. I'm getting centered so I can really focus this, on this contest. I'm getting, I'm, you know, and I want peace. At that time, peace meant a lot to me. It had been so much chaos in my life and I just wanted to settle down and then Danny just said these words he says boy that looks like that's very difficult (laughs) I mean you're twisted like a pretzel your eyes are cross-eyed you're eating this bag of granola and raw egg stuff I don't know what's happening with you but uh, it's easier to get peace than that and so I, I said what are you talking about and so I got up and I went and sat down on the other bed and He started talking to me, and then he described to me. First time anybody had ever told me about Christ. He says, God loved you so much, Tim, that he he came down to earth himself. He came down to earth. He lived a perfect life because he knew you couldn't and you haven't, have you? And he went to the cross for your sins, and he laid in the ground for three days, raised from the dead to justify you before the Father. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> and, you know, I didn't have an emotional. It wasn't an emotional thing at that time for me. It was more like an intellectual rebirth. Suddenly the light switch went on and I knew it was the truth. And I went from being stopped here in my life to like this progression of moving forward spiritually. And here I, you know, here I am now still moving. It's becoming kind of slow at times, but still moving forward. The ministry of Jesus apprehended this surfer. I've watched him apprehend more people time and time again because that is what Jesus does. That is his ministry. He apprehends people right where they are. He doesn't care where you are. It doesn't put him off. Some people go, oh, I've got to get right before I get right. (laughs) No, you're never going to get right enough. Never. And you'll never be wrong enough for him. It's now. There's something very special about Jesus. There's something very special about the ministry that he has. I have watched people time and again be changed. Uh, Some of you are old enough to remember a guy named Ronald Rusty Woomer. 
who murdered and raped and maimed a group of people up around Georgetown County and into Horry County. And he was arrested, and, and uh, I got the call to go to the jail. I was very young then, 75, 70, uh, 75. It was in 74. It was very young. How old is he? Well, I knew he was old, but I had no idea. I look great for 86, don't I? It's like... <laughs> It was in 1974, 75, so I was like 24, uh, 25 years old, and the jailer calls me, and he says, I got somebody I want you to talk to. And I said, okay, first time in jail talking to that. I mean, I, first time in jail, right? Well, wait a minute. No, that was another time. I take that back. <laughs> that was the time I was run out of Riceville Beach and told never to come back. They did put me in jail that time, too, but that's another story. Um, so I'm there at the jail, and... Um, and I see these blue eyes peering through the slot, blonde hair and blue eyes. And I ended up spending about 140 hours with him. And he was a wicked, evil person. No, I mean, I spent enough time to know. But you know what happened to him? And, and I watched. I went with, I sat with his mom through the appeals and all of this, his brother. I heard the stories of the family. I'm not legitimizing anything. Please don't misunderstand me. But... Uh, when they executed him, the last thing he did before he died, I still got the picture, he's holding the Bible in his arms, and he said, I hope my death will bring some peace to the people's lives I have ruined. And uh, I thought, if, if there's been a change, I can hope there has been a change in his heart. That is the ministry of Jesus. To someone as wicked and evil and has caused so much harm in so many people's lives, that is the ministry of Jesus. That he can move into somebody's life like Rusty's and do a work right before he goes to meet his maker. I saw a couple go through tremendous pain and agony. And one of them had been through enormous amounts of pain and enormous violation in the marriage over and over again. And I wondered how long they were going to make it. And finally, something clicked and it made it. And this couple ended up, after all of the pain and the suffering from from extramarital relationships and all, I saw them come together and suddenly begin a ministry to other people who had been through it. That's the ministry of Jesus. I've watched a Adult comedian who was dying from liver, his liver failing. I've watched him. His eyes come aglow when he talks about Jesus. Just a month before he died, where Jesus showed up at him in his hospital room, and Jesus told him, it's okay. Because you have met me, it's okay. The ministry of Jesus is unlike any, any. i got to show you this picture. This is the first guy I ever talked to Jesus about. There he is. Jack. Jack. Jack, uh, he, uh, the guy that led me to Christ, took me that night and put me outside a bar where surfers, fishermen, and marines were. Yeah. And he said, Tim, everybody comes out. I want you to tell them Jesus loves them. So I stood there. Didn't know one scripture, not the Bible, didn't know a thing about it. And I stood there that night, and Jack was the first one to walk out. And I knew Jack, Savannah, Georgia. I surfed against him in many contests, and Jack walks out. And I said, hey, Jack. He goes, yeah. I said, Man, Jesus loves you. He goes, wow, that's heavy, man. <laughs> you know, I saw Jack a few more times, and then I, I, lost, I lost touch with Jack. So you could pray for him. I don't know where he is. I don't know what happened. I tried to find him, but I thought the first person I ever talked to about Jesus, and I just wonder, how heavy did he think it was? You know? <laughs> but that's the ministry of Jesus. Jesus' ministry is different than all others. Consider the ministry of Jesus. 
You know, it's not about a moral makeover. We need more than that. Have you ever turned the leaf? Like, I'm turning a new leaf. We do this usually every year, don't we? I'm going to turn a new leaf. And what happens? All of a sudden, we're back at that page number again. We keep trying to turn, and there's page five every time. Page five. I'm going to six, seven, five, six, seven, five. You know, it's not about turning over a new leaf. This is about a relationship with God. And as you spend time with Him, we change. Our affections change. We change. Your second feeling is this. Consider, first is ministry, and secondly, consider the resurrection of Jesus. Consider the resurrection of Jesus. Peter and John are headed up to the temple to pray, and they run into this uh, man who has been lame from birth. And some of you know the story. They say, silver and gold have I not, but you know, such as I have give you. He grabs the man's hand. The guy steps up. He's healed. The guy is so excited. He follows Peter and John into the temple. He is dancing, jumping up and down. I mean, he's got the use of his legs. He's holding on. I, I, what a picture. He's holding on to Peter and John. Holding on to them because he's like, look what happened to me. And they go in the temple, and of course the religious leaders are there again. And they're like, what in the world? How could you do this? And Peter responds with, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ is unique to him. No one else, no other leader has this happened to You can go to every other religious leader's grave. You can find where they lived and where they died, but you cannot find and you will not find the grave with Jesus Christ in it. I think they would have produced him by now if he was there. I really do. The thing is, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of Christ changes everything, and I want you to consider it this morning. Now, you're thinking, these... um, Maybe these guys, these 11 guys, maybe they had this plan where they would steal the body, right? Really? Have you read about these geniuses? I mean, have you read about these geniuses? I mean, they, they, they just look, they couldn't have pulled that off. They're, I mean, they're like the three stooges running around. You know, they're like hiding. They're, I'm probably, I'm exaggerating. But, you know, they're hiding. Peter's hiding out. He's denying Christ. Uh, they would have had to have a lot of money. They would have had to have known people in high places. They would have had to got rid of the Roman soldiers that were around the tomb. They would have been able to break the seal, get in, get him out, hide him, take him somewhere. And then why would you go and give your life for this for the rest of your life for a dead man? Why would you do that? James, Jesus half-brother and his, half, his other half-brothers and his half-sisters. In the book of Mark, I think around the third chapter, we read that they're watching their brother preach, and it says that they think he's, paraphrasing, crazy. James doesn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. James doesn't believe, and this is the family, James doesn't believe until after the resurrection. Something happened between Jesus' death and Jesus, if you want to call it supposed resurrection, that took his brother from thinking his brother was crazy to becoming the bishop of Jerusalem. 
and eventually giving his own life. Something dramatic happened. Now that's a historical fact that James gave his life for Christ. Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? All the way up to here, he's doubting, doubting. Right on up to the, to the resurrection. I want to see the holes in the hands. Then he does. Then he sees Jesus the resurrection. What happens to doubting Thomas? He goes to Spain. He becomes a missionary. They give him an option in Spain to deny that Jesus is the risen Lord. And he says, never. And they kill him. Something happened to all of these men and women that they would give their lives for it. I want you to consider that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because what in the world could have affected them? I mean, how do you even get 11 people to keep a secret? If it was a secret, especially these geniuses, how could they keep a secret if the body had been robbed and put somewhere? Forty days after Jesus was raised out of the grave, he met with over 500 people, talked with them. Now, if you think they're like hypnotized and they're having this uh, mass hallucination, 11 or so group around Jesus, how about 500 over 40 days? Now, that doesn't sound like it's even possible that 500 people over 40 days could hallucinate and see the same man over and over and be taught by him. And the biggest, to me, largest evidence of all is the change in these men. The change from where they were the day that Jesus was crucified to what they did after that for the next 20 to 30 years of their life. They gave their lives for this message. You would not give that for a dead man. Something changed him. Paul, Paul hated Christians, hunted them down. He was a murderer, killed Christians. And then God, you know, strikes him down on the road And Jesus appears to him three years. For three years after that moment, you can read about this in 1 Corinthians and in Galatians. For three years, Paul hunts down Peter and he hunts down James, Jesus' half-brother. You know why? I believe why. Because he talks about the resurrection in those passages because he wanted to know, is it true? He wanted to talk to Jesus' brother. Is it true? Because I saw him too. Is it true? Because if it's true, it changes everything. And what happens to Paul? Paul gives his whole life to this message. Message of Jesus until he too gives his life for it. What changed these people's lives? I submit to you the resurrection was true. I want you to consider that. Jesus is very special. It does matter what you believe. It matters. Jesus is different than all of them. Consider the ministry of Jesus. Consider his resurrection. And thirdly, consider the message of Jesus. Consider the message of Jesus. John eleven twenty five through 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Because that changes everything if you do. Do you believe this? The message of Jesus was believe. Believe. Believe in me. It's not your sincerity that makes something true. It's believing in something that is true that changes everything. That's why Jesus said, I am the way And I am the truth, and I am the life. If you want to get to God, 
here I am. This is how you get to him, through me. It doesn't make a bit, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me when I think if any old way would do to get to God, why would God send his only son to suffer and die such a brutal death? Why would he do that if we can just be sincere and I go, well, I'm just going to sincerely be a good person all my life and then I'm going to lay myself before God and just say, look, God, look how much good I did. Why would he send his son to die for me if that's what it took? Why would he send his son to die if I had to keep being reincarnated over and over again and I'm a cockroach one time and I'm a pine tree? Then I'm sorry, I don't mean to be making fun, but it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me. When I see God come in human form and stand before all of, all of creation, perfect and holy, and he looks at us from the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And then he says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. It's like God put this huge sign up in the sky that says, stop looking. Here I am. Here I am. All these other ways, look, I'm here. Come and see me. This is my ministry to you. Come and believe in me. And you'll find your way to the Father. And then the relationship begins. Then the change begins. Then our passions, our affections change as we come to know Him. and We become more like Him. I want you to consider these three this morning. Consider His ministry. Consider the resurrection. Consider the message of Christ. That if you believe, if you believe, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. Some of you know this scripture. If you declare with your mouth... Jesus is Lord, not anybody else. Now see, when they said this in this era, it meant not Caesar. If you said Jesus is Lord, it meant nobody else was. It meant Caesar wasn't. It meant Buddha wasn't. Vishnu wasn't. Baba wasn't. The tree isn't. Whatever. It means Jesus, one and only Lord of all. Right? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will Be saved. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.